How many people are ready for the word today? We have a hungry church. I love that. I love that. In fact, what I want to talk to you about today um, really is kind of about the church. Uh, I want to encourage you. I want to try and help elevate your hope and belief in the church, the spiritually formed institution that Jesus created, the church, the body of Christ. Uh, And I just personally believe that Jesus has established this institution, his church, to be the hope of the world. I know we know Jesus is the answer, but when I say that the church is the hope of the world, what I mean by that is that Jesus created the spiritually formed institution of the church to be the vessel, the carrier, the the life-bearing institution of Christ that would bring forth the good news and transformation into a world that's already lost and dark and perishing. Jesus infuses his life into his people, the church, and then he sends her out on a mission in the world and says, this, this will be my agent of transformation. And a lot of times, people will have um, a wrong view of church. They'll have maybe a critical view of church that's been formed by preconceived hurts and wounds, and I get that. Or maybe they have a critical or improper view of church just because they don't understand. Maybe they just had bad teaching, um, or maybe they are just not, they're, they're underestimating the significance of what Jesus intends for the church to be in the world and also in our own lives. And I want you to think about that a little bit today too, like we're going to talk about what is church, what does the church Jesus formed look like, but how, how does that relate to my life? Am I connecting with that? Am I relating to the family of God in the way that Jesus is really wanting me to relate to the family of God? If we are not, then we're missing out, really, on all that there is to be found. In Matthew 16, many of you know these verses, Jesus has this amazing encounter exchange with Peter, and Peter says, you know, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And Jesus says, that's right, and flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, and I say that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, guys, the church, as Jesus has created her to be, is a hell-conquering, darkness-overcoming entity that is meant to constantly advance God's kingdom and in turn, while doing so, push back forces of darkness that are absolutely perplexing our world today. So it's, it's not just this place that's like our Sunday checklist, right? If that's true, then how church fits into our life and how our life relates to church and the family of God, it is, it is at the center of what Jesus wants to do in and through us. And so what I want to talk to you a little bit about today are some attributes, attributes of the church, This isn't a conclusive or exhaustive list, but there are a few things I want to share with you today that we see clearly in Scripture that the church that Jesus created is to be marked by, demonstrating, carrying with her at all times, known for, right? Um, when When anything is operating inconsistent, with the way it's created to operate, then it can put off a confusing view or picture to other people. So can we just acknowledge that? That sometimes the church 
as we know it or as we've seen it operate throughout history or in different places, it is not necessarily portraying or marked by the things that Jesus has created her and, and given her to carry. And when that's the case, it's understandable that people would have distorted views or, you know, off views. But listen, even though that be the case, that doesn't mean that we lose hope or we abandon our confidence and faith that the church really is this vessel, this spiritually formed institution that can bring transformation into our world today. Frankly, I don't have hope in anything else besides her. <laughs> I believe that when the church is working properly, she is the most transformational organization on the face of the planet. Amen? I'm glad I got a lot of amens on that today. All right, so let's just think about that. What is the church supposed to look like? And how, is, how does that connect with the way my life looks today? Um, that my life isn't being lived like fragmented and off to the side and the church is doing her thing. But if the church is supposed to look like this, then my life is supposed to look like this. Because we are the church. So let's go to Ephesians 4. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we see some really amazing verses about just church and the family of God. We're going to walk through a few of these attributes this morning. Let's start out in verse 11. It says, He himself, being Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry... For the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we would all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man, which means to maturity. Not perfection, by the way. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Mm, those are beautiful verses, aren't they? Wow. Point number one, if you're taking notes today, by the way, the title of the message is The Glorious Church. The Glorious Church. And so, point number one, our first attribute is the church is meant to be growing. Growing. Now, I've always explained it this way because I think this is simple to understand. The church is meant to be growing in two regards, growth implied in two facets. That would be numerically and by way of maturity. So you cannot get around this in Scripture that numerically the body of Christ, the family of God, the church is intended to grow and increase always. Now, we don't get too hung up necessarily on growth for growth's sake because sometimes you can have unhealthy growth. We want healthy growth. But I'm just going to break it down very simply and just say that the church from the very beginning has always been marked by massive growth. Jesus intends for the gospel to go to all of the parts of the world. It says that until it's reached everywhere on the earth, the Son of Man shall not return. So part of ushering in the return of Christ means that the church has successfully advanced the gospel into all the parts of the world, all the nations of the earth. And obviously as she gets larger, as she grows in numbers numerically, that positions us for more strength, for more influence and for more uh, impact in our world. I'm just going to run through 
number of verses for you really quick so you can get the picture. In Acts chapter 2, it says, The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Acts 5.14, Believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. Acts 6, 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and great many of priests were obedient to the faith. Acts 16, 5, the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So we see that she's meant to grow and increase. I I desperately want to reach more lost souls. I want to see more people come into the family of God. I don't think that's an unhealthy desire at all when we're talking about wanting to see the church grow. Are you with me? You see that that's always been that way throughout time. Now, there are different growth capacities, let's say. I mean, if you are in a small area or a small town... The capacity is a certain maybe number there versus in a really large city. I get that. So it's not like a certain number means something. I think it's overall the percentage of the whole that really matters. There's a significant number of people who've been added to the faith in a given area has the ability to leaven or effectively impact and influence that entire area or region. We say a lot. We, We feel that God has put a heart on our heart to have a regional impact. And that's why we have a multi-site model and campuses, is that we want to increase the number of places where God has given us a footprint to impact and affect our region. We want to see growth so that we can see more people affected for the kingdom of God. But here's what we know. It's not just about adding numbers. That's one way of growth. It's also about adding strength. We want to take believers deep. We, just as those scriptures in Ephesians said, we want to help every man come to the fullness of the stature of Christ. To become spiritually mature men and women. This is not something that immediately happens when a believer comes to the faith. It is something that happens and develops over time. Would you agree with me? Maturing. So what we know and what we believe is that if we help people grow and get strong, then the church will grow and get strong. So we want to see growth, let's say, both by width and by depth. Part of how we grow to maturity in Christ is laying down our lives in in selfish pursuits so that we can be set apart for the purposes of God alone and entirely. We might call that sanctification. Sanctification, maturing, purification. This is a process in a believer's life that will be happening from the time of the new birth to the grave. Sanctification and purity. The Bible says that for those who follow Christ... We should seek to be holy and pure or purify ourselves as He is holy and pure. Are you with me? And and so part of growing and getting stronger as believers is that we are dedicating our lives in a way where we're living our lives to be set apart for the purposes of God first and foremost above anything else. And then He does a deep work of purification and sanctification in and through our lives. Anybody ever come to Christ perfect from the very beginning before? Looking around, I see no hands, right? None of us do. We come to Christ broken. He cleans us up and makes us righteous, which means to be in right standing with Him. The blood of the Lamb washes us clean of our sin. But make no mistake, we don't come as spiritually mature Christians. It's a work that He can do in and through our lives, but it is something that we have to be committed to, right? It doesn't just accidentally happen. In fact, if committing to purification and sanctification is part of a sign of a mature believer, we could actually say the opposite too. If we were to shun off or neglect the importance of purification in our own lives, that would be a sign of immaturity. Does that make sense? 
So, so growing strong in the Lord and sanctification is a part of how we grow in depth and, and maturity, but the church also gets strong and grows by way of numer- by numbers. So let me say this one thing and then move on to the next point too. Uh, we, we come to Christ broken and we maturity is a process that happens throughout our life. Right? The church, we just read in Ephesians 4, that part of the institution of the church is so that we can all be edified and strengthened together. And so I would say to you, from my perspective doctrinally, this is very accurate, we cannot grow to full maturity if we are disconnected from the body of Christ. It's like a hand trying to be all that a hand can be, totally separated from the rest of the body. We're attached and we grow together, right? Now, you can attend church, somebody can come to church, and this is what's beautiful about the Lord. One visit and one moment can change somebody's life forever. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, one encounter in the presence of God, one meeting with Jesus himself can wreck somebody, can turn them inside out and make them undone and realize who they really are without Christ and their desperation for him, and they leave, and they'll never be the same again, ever, one moment. But at the same time, we're not going to grow to full maturity as a believer with one visit to church. Right? One visit isn't going to bring us to full maturity. It can change our life. It can turn the whole direction 180 degrees of where we're headed. Praise God for that. But maturing and growing is something that's going to happen over seasons. That's why the way we preach and teach in the pulpits at churches is so important to be balanced and come from the entire Bible from beginning to end. I spent a great deal of time in prayer and seeking the Lord and just trying to have a pulse and an understanding of where is our congregation at and where, where are the needs? What is God wanting to say right now at this time? And then if I'm listening and I'm hearing and I'm obeying correctly, then the way God brings forth the word is brought forth in a very multifaceted, balanced, whole form so that if you sit under the teachings here or in any healthy church over a period of months or even years, that it will be, it will, it will be conducive to you growing into full maturity into the believer that God's calling you to be. Does that make sense? So, I'm just always so appreciative uh, for pastors who approach their pulpits that way. We're not one-dimensional. It's not just one message. We're, we're going we're gonna to preach the entire Bible from beginning to end because a believer cannot receive all the food and nutrients and nourishment that they need to become the whole, mature, balanced Christian they're supposed to be if we don't do that. So point number one was growing. Point number two is unified. Unified. She is meant to be unified. When Jesus said, I will, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you know that's the first time in the New Testament that the word church actually appears? First time. And Jesus only uses it twice, both in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and then again in chapter 18, when he's talking about church discipline. But then you see the word church over a hundred plus times used throughout the rest of the New Testament. So the family of God was not a new concept. In fact, the church is grafted into what was originally the family of God, that, that God birthed through Abraham. We know that. But, but Jesus introduced a new way of seeing it and a new way of operating 
and it extended beyond just one nation into all the nations of the world, praise God. But the word that he used for church is a word called ecclesia in the Greek, and ecclesia means called out ones for a specific purpose. And so what Jesus did is he calls, he, what he does is he calls us out of the world and to the kingdom of God. So we move away from citizenship in the world and we exchange that for citizenship in the family of God and in his kingdom. And in doing so, we now are living for that mission, for that purpose. Does that make sense? So you can say our lives, we have a purpose Right, I'm living in this area, I've got a career, I've got a family, but ultimately there's a bigger picture that all of our lives are aimed towards, which is Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, and advancing that on earth. And so when God calls us out of the world, puts his spirit in us, and we're born again, now we are, we are engrafted into that mission to advance his kingdom. And in order to do that, we have to be unified <laughs> with one another. The enemy is always trying to sow seeds of discord. Would you agree with me on that? It's not new. It's not new. It wears different clothing throughout the generations, but at the root of it, it's not new. He's always trying to sow seeds of division and discord. It's easy for him to do that in the world outside of God. It's very easy for him to do that there. But if he can do that inside the family of God, then he's dealing a huge blow to the church's ability to accomplish her mission. And let me say it this way. There will always be strife between us and the enemy. Let there not be strife with us and one another. Does it make sense? So jump over to verse 1 in Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll read verses 1 through 6. Listen to this. It says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called. There's a lot in there. I'm not going to pack all that. Let me just say this very short, that he's saying you, you need to look like what you're supposed to look like. You need to reflect what Christ wants you to reflect. You need to be an authentic representation. Fair enough? Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness. Now, I'm going to read through all these verses, but I want you to get this. All of these things that he's talking about are all critical factors that contribute to unity. Okay? So we say we want to be unified. If we want to be unified, then all of these things, many of them fruits actually of the Spirit, we, we should mark the way that we interact with one another and even with the outside world. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Wow. So he's, I love this. He says, endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. Hmm. Endeavoring to keep means to constantly be watching over, contributing to, and cultivating. It means that we have to really be vigilant and on the lookout for signs of seeds of disunity that are being sown. And I'd love for us to be a church that recognizes when those seeds hit the ground before they actually start to grow up and produce some harmful things. Right? It says endeavoring to keep. It's like striving, guys. I mean, it's warlike mentality. It's it's at the forefront. We know the enemy is always going to be attempting to divide. Jesus says a house divided cannot stand. And so if we are endeavoring to keep unity, it means we need to be constantly watchful. 
constantly watchful in our own heart, our own life, in our own sphere and circle, and of course in our church cultures and environments. The unity of the Spirit, I love this, it's a, it's a spiritual cord grafted together. We, we are joined together in Christ by something that is inseparable. We can have division, and, and that can happen sometimes, but, but because we are united by Christ's Spirit, that, that element makes us inseparable. And when Jesus said, I will build my church, the family of God, he was talking about the worldwide church. I love that. You know, in the New Testament, there, there are no distinctions of like denominations and things like that at all. There's just, there is one church, the family of God, mm. united by the Spirit of God. And guys, that means that we would not allow ourselves to be divided by petty or non-essential differences. Hmm. At the end of the day, we have to come together. We have to be strong and unified in, in this house, the local church, which is an expression of the worldwide church. This is a local context, but we are all part of God's family worldwide. Take this in, not just those who are living now, but all the saints who have gone on to be with Christ even before us. It's a big family. <laughs> a big family that we get to be a part of. But we have got to be vigilant, right? And, and be able to see that we, we must be united. We must stay strong together as, a, as the family of God and not allow lesser things or non-essential things to, to create division because when there's division, it's fractured, it's fragmented, and, you, and it becomes weaker in its ability to bring impact in the world. Some of the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, right? I'm really excited to tell you this and share this with you. Um, I hope that it encourages you, and I think that it speaks to this point of the message today and being unified and, and being able to unite around major things and not be divided around lesser things. Here recently, a group of pastors from our community have began to gather. And it's in the beginning stages right now. There are probably 12 or 13 of us. Many of them, if I said the churches and the names, you'd probably recognize almost every single one of these churches from the Waterloo and Columbia and Monroe County area. And we are gathering together, pastors, laying down any di differences doctrinally, and we are coming together for the sake of our community and for our region. We are, and I'm asking you to be in prayer about this as well, we are coming together and we are gathering and we are seeking to come to a place where we can have a unified statement and position that we are all strong on and will stand for in the face of any pushback, a unified statement and position about gender and sexuality according to the Bible. And I pray that you would ask for us to receive wisdom and guidance that we may be able to stand strong and speak truth boldly in Christ-like love with compassion to our local community and all of the churches in our area. Hmm. And he says, in the bond of peace. Amen. I'm, ex I'm just so excited about that. He says, in lowliness and in gentleness and in long-suffering and bearing with one another in love, basically all the ways that I am with Katie in our marriage that makes it work so well, so patient and so long-suffering and just so self-controlled with her, and it bears so much fruit when she's not that way. <laughs> You guys aren't buying that, huh? All right. 
No, we know that's, we know that's not the case, but I, I certainly strive to be, and we should all strive to be that way in our relationships with one another. Long-suffering. Can we just talk about that for a second? What are you laughing at? I was being serious. Long-suffering. It means to have enduring patience and self-control when we're dealing with issues. So easy when everything's clicking on all cylinders. Agree? When we have a disagreement, a confrontation, there's something that we've got to work through. That's part of it, you know, right? That's part of healthy family. When that happens, long-suffering and gentleness and enduring patience should mark the way we approach our interactions with one another. A lot of times we get into difficult moments and all that stuff just kind of goes out the window. And then we shouldn't be surprised when we see dysfunction and division in our relationships or in areas that we're connected in. We have to hold true to those things. And it's, it's not always easy to do because the emotions are in play. But a man or woman led by their emotions, you know what the Bible refers to that as? A fool. Fool. That's true. Foolish. We have emotions, and they're actually beautiful, and it's a part of God's creation for us, but the way he's created us, but they can't rule us. So when that begins to happen, then this beautiful way that Jesus has equipped his church to function, which is to constantly be unified and to resolve disputes and matters within the body, you know, isn't that amazing? Like Jesus has equipped his church to be able to be judicially effective with one another in our dealings with each other. Reconciliation and unification can always be the outcome if we will follow Christ's pattern, his command for how we are to do these things. But sometimes we, we, we lose that lowliness and gentleness and self-control goes out the window. We say whatever we want to say and we fire bullets that we can never unfire. Now we've done damage that has to get healed and then we have more work to do to reach reconciliation and then unification. Would it be nice if we were just on top of these things from the beginning? I remember one time when Katie and I were uh, early in our marriage. I think this was maybe our first or second year, probably first year. And, you know, she was just be giving me all kinds of problems and issues and we were at our our first house and i'll never forget this i i snapped i just i lost it she wasn't listening <laughs> trying to get her to understand and uh do you remember those little bottles of sunny delight those orange juices i don't know if they still have those sunny delight she's laughing she remembers this too um she's scarred so <laughs> I lost it. And, and look, I'm a new Christian. I'm on fire for Jesus. I'm growing with the Lord, right? But I'm just, and I lose it. And I grab this bottle of Sunny Delight, and I just turn, and I throw this thing like Tom Brady across the kitchen, and it hits the wall and the ceiling in the corner, and it just explodes all over the place. And she's just looking at me. <laughs> really? And the argument was over. And, you know, I realized right after that, like, I just crossed the line. Like, nothing I'm going to do now is going to be fruitful. I just crossed the line. And so, of course, you know, I get the ladder and I get up. It's like the stairs go down and it's all over the place. And I'm cleaning the whole thing off. I get everything that I can. And I get back and, and I look. And there is this whole spot that I just cannot reach or get to. So for the next couple years, we live in this house, and every time I turn the corner, every time I go to go down the stairs or walk around, I look up, and the way the light hit it, it just made it stand out really, really bad. It was like, don't forget that. Do you remember that? <laughs> it was just like a reminder how quick 
and easy it can be for us to lose our stuff and for us to lose compassion, to lose gentleness, to lose self-control. And when that happens, then we cease to bear fruit and, and be a representation of the church that Jesus said will push back the gates of hell. We want to push back the gates of hell, but we have to wear the armor that we're supposed to be equipped with while we do that. Amen? Amen. So that was uh, point number two is unified. And then point number three, the last one, influential. Influential. Jump over to chapter five in Ephesians. Let's read verses 25 through 27. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, Mm. not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, we already talked about sanctification a little earlier and purification, and in these verses, it's... The Bible is describing that purification process, and he's, Paul's likening this to a, a relationship between a husband and a wife. But in a marriage, when there is a betrothal, back in these days, the way that things would work is uh, a, a future bride and groom would be betrothed to one another. And then what the groom would do, I want you to think about this, because this has is, this is got a really powerful arc towards us in the church but so so what the groom would do is he would adorn the bride with all kinds of precious things in fact many times the groom's family would come and then they would present a it's called a dowry to the the bride's family which is just like a, a big chunk of their estate and i've thought about this before i was telling katie i was like you know because we have five daughters. And I was like, it's just interesting. I, I don't know. It's just like if we would have lived back then, then we, would, then we would eventually be rich. But now somewhere somebody decided that the bride's family was supposed to pay for the bulk of the wedding. So instead of being rich, now we're going to be broke. So I don't know. Sometimes traditions don't swing in your favor. Uh, but it's is talking about how the groom adorns the bride with all these precious things and, and equips her. But then the bride's responsibility is then to purify and prepare herself for her groom before consummation. This is a picture of the church in the age now that we're in. We're betrothed. And we're to be purifying and preparing ourselves for our groom when he returns. They'll be consummated in the eternal age by the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow, that's powerful stuff, isn't it? But the church is meant to be influential. She's been showered with all of these amazing gifts and abilities that transcend human ability. They're given to us by the Spirit, and they're operating by the Spirit. And so they carry with them a very distinct mark and very distinct favor and glory that is a representation of Jesus himself. We just read in Ephesians 5, he said, to present to himself a glorious church. The church is glorious, meant to be glorious. That word means to be splendid and radiant and shining with God's favor. Mm. It is anything but irrelevant and docile in society. It is meant to be influencing and bringing forth and instigating positive change throughout every level and sector of society that we live in, guys. I'm so passionate about this. It's, I know if we raise up strong men and women of faith in the houses of God who are mature believers... This is, this is where we grow and get strong, but we are taking what God is doing out into the world, 
it's like irrigating streams of water that's flowing into all the parts of our society, enriching and improving the landscape all around us, that it may be fertile and fruitful and vibrant with life-giving things who Jesus is the source of. Hmm, I want to show you something on this board here. Don, would you mind helping me for a second? The, one of the philosophies or studies, that's perfect. Thank you, sir. Um, that you'll see about society uh, is that there are what are considered to be seven pillars or mountains of society. How many people have heard of this before? Okay, a few. So... Let's just say you've got these seven pillars, all right? And you've got government, families, media, arts and entertainment, education. You've got the marketplace and uh, what's the other one? Government. Families, media, arts, entertainment, marketplace. Uh, I think it's, is it military? Gosh, sorry, drawing a blank. So you got these seven pillars of society, okay, that a society is made up of. And in theory, this theory, you know, we kind of all touch each other, but everything is sort of, oh, I know, I, I messed up, duh, faith. <laughs> uh, <laughs> didn't see it going that way gotta tell you all right so in this in this illustration and in this <laughs> stop laughing okay you're laughing too hard back there i see you chris so in this illustration faith is is a segment. It's, it's one of seven segments. It's off on its own. And the implication would be that faith exists out here. There's a space for it, but it has its own space. But I want you to think about this. I, I really believe with all my heart, and, and I don't expect the secular world to change this, I mean, this makes sense on a level, but in my mind, and we're thinking about church being influential, guys, the, Jesus said, and again, we're grafted into the promise of Abraham, and the promise of Abraham toward the family of God was that you would be blessed so that you could bless the nations of the world. Does that make sense? The, the, the blessing of God, the heavenly blessing of God flows down in through his people, but then it spreads out through his people to the rest of the nations of the world. And so I believe that this is central to everything. That this is the most, if we're, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, you cannot get around this doctrinally. You could sit down and talk about this in, all day. You couldn't get around it. That your relationship with Christ has got to be the most important thing in your life. It's, he's got to be above everything. And then when we live this way where Jesus is who our lives are devoted to, and he's adorned us with gifts and abilities, and then they're now dedicated to serving him and advancing his kingdom, not our own selfish pursuits. They, they leap to a new level of efficiency and anointing and blessing, but then we can become the blessing to the rest of the world. Men and women of God raised up strong in the houses of God in local churches who are working in government, who are working in politics, who are working in the education system. So thankful for the great, strong, righteous men and women who we have in our churches right now who are working in all these areas and, and, and praying and striving to be change and to be an effective representation of Christ, media, arts, and entertainment in all these places. It's flowing out into all these other areas of our society. Proverbs 11.11 11 says, By the blessing 
of the upright, the city is exalted. Mm. But it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. So, simply put, when God's people are under His blessing, then the nation or the city or the region or the community is going to experience the upswing of the favor and blessing of God that's over his people. And that is a land I want to live in. That is a land I want to live in. And that is a picture of what Jesus said can happen. It is a picture of what he said, I've equipped my church to be able to do. But we have to maintain unity, we have to keep growing, and we have to embrace that call on our lives to be influencers and to bring change. Are you with me? Into all of the places that God is calling us to be. It's not any one person. You're called into your sphere. I've got my sphere. We've all got our own spheres. I want you to do something. I want you to just take a look around. Look at every person around you in the room today. Just Yeah. Okay, that got weird. All right. Uh, <laughs> listen. We're counting on one another. Look around you. These are the people that we are standing with. This are the you hear me? These are the people that we're going to fight the enemy with. These are the people who we're going to stand together when chaos and difficulties and things are happening, where we're going to stand together and stay unified, and we're going to continue to bring that positive change that's gentle, that's loving, that's long-suffering, that's patient, but that still stands in the face of adversity and pushes back the forces of darkness. We're counting on one another. We are the family of God. This is a representation right here in the local church of what Jesus established when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Hmm. And I believe we can see a day when things are catching up to people in the world. Darkness, empty pursuits, frivolous living, ungodliness. You know, it's just a matter of time before the brokenness of that catches up to people. But here's the key, guys. This is my heart so much. I hope and pray that when that happens, those people are running to the churches in their community. I hope they're running. Can't wait to get in the door. Because the church all along was being the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Close with this. Jesus is not coming back for one local church. He's not coming back for one political party. He's not coming back for one nation, our form of government, or for one people group. Jesus is coming back for his children for all, from all the four corners of the earth, Amen. his bride. My prayer today as we close, guys, is that we would be preparing ourselves. If we are preparing ourselves, this vessel then we will be preparing well as a church who's poised and ready for whatever it is that God wants to do in our generation and in our time. The Ecclesia has faced different challenges and different types of adversity all throughout the ages. We see representations in Revelation of the seven churches who have different strengths and weaknesses. There are uniquenesses to all of us, even set in by the different places where we are. But never throughout history has persecution and adversity and the enemy's attempt to divide and destroy what God is doing, never has it been able to stop the advancement of the church. 
I want to encourage you today with that as we close. In fact, if you really get down to it, persecution, while it has definitely afflicted the lives of many Christ followers over the ages, persecution has actually not been able to stop the advancement of the church and the forward motion of the church. Actually, if you get right down to it, when the church is really ready and prepared, when adversity comes and persecution happens, the reach and the influence and the impact of the church actually spreads as a result of that. I got to read this last verse before we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. The church has always been a forward-moving kingdom, advancing institution formed by the Spirit of God, carrying the message of hope to the world. Let's be the glorious church that Jesus died to establish. Amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Oh, I feel the Spirit of God in this place right now. Lord, I pray right now you speak to every person. Yes, Lord. Feel today is just a kind of a rallying cry, just a little bit of a let's bring in the ranks here today, church. Let's just reiterate some things that we many of us probably already know, but let's 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 put these back in the focus right now at the forefront. Gentleness, long suffering. Patience, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the spirit of unity in the bond of peace at all times. Brothers and sisters, I ask you today. Is the spiritual climate of our region on your radar right now? Are you tuned in? We're living our lives. We're doing our thing. I pray you're doing that fruitfully and effectively. I just got to challenge you and ask you before we go. are Are you tuned in to the spiritual climate of our region? What God is doing right now? Because you're part of that. Every member of the body is supposed to do its share. We read that in Ephesians today. You're a contributor. You have, you have something to offer, to deposit, to make. When our lives are dedicated to Jesus Christ, He's Lord, He's King. And the goodness of everything He has planned for us will shine through.